people for recording now. Wonderful. Okay, amazing. So we're here. Welcome. We just had someone new join, which thank you for coming on in. So today we're going to be talking about creator economy. I um, should have put the link in the chat before I started, but it's here. And now I'm realizing I can't copy from a slide, but basically I wrote this book called Creator Economy for Authors, The Guide to the Future of Publishing. And it's not officially out yet. Um, so I'm just giving away art copies for free. And it's, well, we're gonna talk a little bit more about that book and you're gonna get a lot of the insights in that book today and also be able to ask me questions about it. Um, and me and Amelia will both be here to chat because uh, Amelia actually inspired me to write this book because from talking to her, I realized, oh wait, maybe there's an audience for this book if she's another author who, like some of these ideas, but you can see from the title, Power to the Storytellers. That's what fundamentally the creator economy is about. It's built on this promise that creators are more powerful than platforms. But before we can get to the promise and what that means for us and our readers and our businesses, we should get to the lie. Ah, there we go. I figured out how to switch the slide, but we're getting into this. So the fundamental lie has been since almost the beginning of the printing press and publishing that the people who have the power are the publishers. And now in the internet, there was this promise that as creative people, we'd be liberated, that we would become indie authors. And in many cases, we're independent of publishers, but a lot of us are still beholden to platforms. Now, when I say this, I'm not saying that publishers or platforms are bad. I think they can be great and should be utilized as business development partners it's very hard to make it as an author if you don't have a publisher or not publishing your books and finding readers on certain platforms. Very, very difficult to, to be able to make it, but that isn't what the creator economy says. The creator economy isn't saying that publishers and platforms shouldn't exist. It's saying that at the end of the day, you as a creator are more powerful than all these systems. But, but it, it didn't always go this way, right? Because back when writing commercially was becoming a thing, well, first of all, we had the Protestant Reformation. A lot of interesting things happened during that area of history when the printing press started to become commercialized and seeing that people now could start to read because books were accessible. And during that age, you had to have capital to be able to distribute stories and ideas. So although writers were important, you had to have writers to be able to create things. At the end of the day, publishers were able to give authors the, the end uh, the short end of the stick and say you know we have the power here to be able to choose what goes to our printers then platforms came about and when the internet started basically distribution the cost went to zero which is supposed to be i mean it is it's a great thing we can all now publish books and anyone in the world can read it who has access to the internet which there's billions of people have access to the internet for basically free so all of those are great things, but we haven't had the liberatory experience of, yay, we can all just publish our books and have power of these platforms. That hasn't been what's really happened. In today's day and age, retailers, and this goes for all ebook retailers, I'm not just picking on Amazon. They all have a business model where they get to keep our reader data. They get to monopolize the relationship we have with our readers. And ultimately, that gives them great power and leverage, and they can drive the discovery of books. And ultimately, this gives us this kind of problem where 
places like Amazon, places like even Random House, if you're going for a traditional publishing deal, carry this promise that I'll just get the deal. I'll have that one breakout book that gets me up in the algorithms. I'll run the right ad. I'll hit the right thing. And that'll be it. I'll be famous. I'll have my books. I'll be set. I, I will be set for my life. I have now a career as an author. And although it works that way for some people, most people haven't had that breakout moment. But even if you have had that breakout moment, you still are beholden to these systems at the end of the day. Whether you're an author on a seven-figure publishing deal or a six-figure, seven-figure indie author spending hundreds of thousands of dollars to advertise their books. So there's a better way to do this. And it doesn't involve saying no to publishers or no to platforms, but involves this thing that we call the creator economy. So now, now we're going to talk about that. But I'm, this is like super small text, but I wanted to give an overview of the book because I'm not going to be able to tell you the whole book in, in this, this meeting. I just want to share with you some of the, like, the high level insights, but the book has two parts. The first part is the foundations of an author creator. And this is thinking about really what it means to be an author and a reader and how you can build a, a foundation for your business that can last generations. So we talk about the creator economy. We talk about the history of a lot of this, talk about the promises of creator powered publishing. And then we get into like what it really means to be creator. Like what principles do author creators take hold in their business? Spoiler alert, uh, the, the big principles are community. That, that's a huge one um, that we're going to be talking a lot about. And subscriptions have a lot to do with community. But we'll, we'll dive into that more. And then the next part, which this is going to be a really open conversation, is more of like a workbook in, inside of the book. And I talk about content creation across digital platforms. So how you can find new readers through TikTok, through blogging, through YouTube, Instagram, places like that, and how you can approach content creation in a healthy way. Because creator economy is not saying no platforms. It's saying that at the end of the day, it's about your platform. And then I talk about how to monetize and build your community and diversify and expanding your income. So in this talk, because that's the book, we have real three goals today, which is to Figure out how we can diversify your income as an author, figure out how we can find more readers and begin taking back our power from the retailers, publishers, players that maybe censor us, that maybe stop us from really being able to do what our readers care about, which is actually being able to fulfill what we call nine human givens, these psychological needs that we all have as humans, that a lot of times we just can't fully do as authors because we're not able to connect with our readers the way we want, be able to create systems that reward our readers with status and hierarchy, creating, creating communities that give our readers belonging. These are the things that we as humans create. And the internet disrupted these existing systems of hierarchy, status, and belonging in our society. People don't have as much friends nowadays in the real world. People are spending more time on their screens than ever before. And we can take this to be like a really depressing thing. And in many cases, it really is. If we're spending our time scrolling mindlessly through TikTok and Facebook, I think that it can do a lot of harm to our mental health and to our society. And I think we're seeing that in, in real time. But we also have to remember that Facebook doesn't rule the world and that we're in the very early stages of this thing that we call the internet. And this next stage, I think, and I hope after this, you will think too, will look a lot different. And in this next stage, there's an immense opportunity for authors, creators, and storytellers to actually create these 
places of belonging and meaning. And this might sound so farcical, but I created this image here. Um, and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about how futuristic technologies are playing into this whole burgeoning creator economy. But I used uh, this basically large language learning model called um, Midjourney. And I typed in the word storytellers for the world and it gave uh, me this image, this four panel image. And that's our, our motto uh, that me and Amelia have. And it's also a very, very old saying that Plato had. And as humans, what makes us human is our ability to tell stories. And whether it's a politician, a business leader, or the people who create massive franchises, the people who ultimately end up being able to change the world, end up being able to imbue our lives with meaning, are storytellers. And us as authors, we've mastered like the core part of that. When we go back to things like the hero's journey, these different story frameworks, this is what drives the world, our ability to be able to meld fiction with reality because really reality is just a form of fiction that we choose to believe so that's all like these big high level under marking things but now i just wanted to share like why, why are we actually here today so we have these three goals we want to diversify your income we want to find more readers and have more power but how do i want to help us along so i want to first give you all motivation that this is possible and i'm going to do that by sharing my story then I want to get into some of the foundations with all of this. We're going to get into some reflections. We're going to look at how some big and small businesses alike, meaning some big businesses that might not even be author related, but then also some businesses that are very much authors, how maybe they're approaching the creator economy. And then we're going to get into the actions we can take. And there's going to be a very special focus on subscriptions in this, not because everyone has to have a subscription, but because we are subscriptions for authors here. And I think it's useful to talk about how this subscriptions might be able to fit into the bigger picture of your business because that's how I like to think about this the creator economy is what we're all operating in whether we know it or not and subscriptions could be one piece of it it could even be the center of what you're doing but we'll, we'll talk more about that but ultimately my goal here is to help empower you to create stories that we love and that gives you the life of your dreams and that doesn't necessarily mean a certain ranking on Amazon or a certain number of reviews in your book or a certain number of income each month it's like this well-being, this lifestyle, this way you get to approach your business, that ultimately is what you want. Joanna Penn has this saying that I put in the book called, it's about your creator economy. So that's what I want to help you realize today, your creator economy. That's the difficult part about this though. When we have power and there's no higher system promising us short-term rewards and cookie cutter path to success, it's, it makes it more challenging. And that's why I'll actually skip ahead to this slide, just to say what, what this is not about. What this is not about is one easy way to make money as an author. This is not about over quantifying how to make it. This, this is not about anything like that. We, I don't wanna give out cookie cutter solutions and say there's one way or claim that this is easy. And I, I think right now 99% of authors won't become author creators, but you're here today. And I think that you're way ahead of the game because you're actually thinking about these things. Most of the people that I've talked to in our community, and I know many of you personally already are doing these things. So that's like, unbelievably inspiring because I think that we are able to be part of this movement, thinking more long-term, right? Empowering ourselves. So that's just what this knot is. And I also wanna say as well, that when I talk about the creator economy and the internet, there are important generational genre and income differences in our readership that are important and how we actually materialize our vision of the creator economy. 
For instance, many readers, especially above the age of 40, love reading on their Kindles. That means that Amazon might be an especially important part of your strategy, maybe even being in Kindle Limited. And that doesn't make you not an author creator. You can be an amazing author creator being in KU. This has nothing to do with why or KU exclusive, really doesn't. So that's one thing. Another thing is that certain genres have different expectations and authors in certain genres might have different expectations how they wanna run the business. When I say community, I'm not saying you have to be DMing your readers all the time and being best friends with them. You might wanna take more of a, a background view that I kind of like that myself. And I'm here to tell you that building a community of your readers and a fandom is less about you communicating and more about empowering your readers. So that's the beauty of this and that you can create spaces for them to come together that work relatively hands-off. So that's another thing. And then the last thing is income. So not everyone can afford things like a subscription, rare editions of books. Not everyone can afford things, we'll get into it, like being able to buy um, clothing from you, being able to shop at ghost kitchens, which that might sound really foreign, but it's already a thing today. It's basically uh, restaurants that license excess kitchen space and operate only on like delivery apps and they can scale pretty quickly and reach people like in this native digital age. So there's a few examples of pretty big creators doing it and even traditional celebrities. One of them's um, Mariah Carey. And um, I believe over the next 10 years that we're going to see this sort of infrastructure become easier, just like things like Teespring and other sites allow you to very easily create t-shirts and be able to sell them, print on demand very easily. We're gonna have that with food, vacations, all these sorts of things. And that's part of the promise of the creator economy, right? That us as authors, we're not in the business of selling books, we're doing the business of something more. But I'll get to that more later. So I, I know I'm kind of leaving all hanging, but before we actually go forward, ah, let's go back. I want to just, lay out some definitions here that I think can be helpful. Because when we throw around these, frankly, buzzwords, um, they have different meanings to different people. And I think that's a great thing. But I want to set a definition that's at least mine that can help inform you where I'm coming from. Because there's other really smart people who like talking about the creator economy. I'm gonna recommend some of their books in the end. So that if you wanna hear other people's perspectives, I want you to have that because I, I don't know it all. I just know some things that I'm sharing and I'm very grateful for your time. So a creator. We are all creators, like as humans. It's kind of like Nike saying, like, if you have a body, you're an athlete. We all are creative and creative people. But a creator, like a professional creator, is someone who builds businesses with distribution and scale amplified by the internet, centered around digital communities. We all are creators, whether we know it or not. If you're publishing books onto any ebook platform, serial fiction onto Wattpad, if you're even just creating TikToks, you're participating in this creator economy and about that creator economy. So that's an ecosystem of creators and their teams, platforms, and digital infrastructure. And I'll get to a map of what's going on in the creator economy because there's so much happening that we are don't even know. There's just so much that's going on. And I want to elucidate some of these products, some of these services that are coming out that are frankly incredible. But these things empower people to build digitally native businesses and communities around their passions and earn insight. You know, Amazon was the first creator economy platform for authors. And I'm grateful to them for that because I don't ever want to come across as hating Amazon. They are still an extremely important part of this ecosystem. But I want to share with you some of the other awesome stuff that's going on too. World building. So a lot of times we think about this just in general as fiction authors, but especially like in genres like science fiction and fantasy, 
where this can be like integral to the story world. But I want to think about world building a bit more expansively. I talked about how we as author creators in the creator economy, the beauty is that we now have the ability to blur the lines between the story world and the real world better than better than ever. We can do this sort of thing. So world building in this context is a creator's ability to immerse their audience into their story world. That comes from creating great stories. Narrative immersion and narrative transportation are two important psychological concepts on that. I have a book in the end that dives so much into this that I'm recommending that came out like three days ago. I'm excited to recommend you the book. I love recommending other books, but regardless, uh, create shared experience for their community. That's another thing that we do as part of world building. And then we operate a business off of these connections that we create off of basically the trust ultimately that we build with our readers by essentially Trojan horse in their mind. And then we can operate a business that uses that intellectual property as the foundation for experiences and products their readers desire. The, the basically distribution uh, arm that does this better than any company that I've ever seen is Disney. Very problematic, but also I think quite ingenious. And there's a lot that we can learn from that because in the old world, Disney was the only one had had access to tools to be able to build these merch parallel products and these like even real world experiences that can bring people closer to their stories. But in the world of the creator economy, technology is making that possible for everyone. And that's the promise. So with all of this, I want to, before I get to my story, give you one more view of what's going on. And this is the creator economy market map. Uh, this was created by a venture capital firm. I mentioned in my book uh, that there's a lot of technological innovation going on. But to give you a scope of it, um, $3 billion were invested into creator economy startups in 2021 alone. So that's a tremendous amount of money. There's lots of people working to build things for creative people. To be frank, I have a lot of problems with how a lot of these things are being built. That's a totally separate conversation because uh, I think a lot of them still are trying to maybe always, every platform, they want to have power over the creator. And as creators, we want to, have our own power. But I think what's great about all these things is that if we have the correct relationships to these platforms and know where they fit into our broader business, we don't have to be subservient to any one, one platform's rules or algorithms and riding these waves that can be really harmful to our mental health. And I know that firsthand. I'll share that. But this map, I'm just going to give you a brief overview of all these things that are happening today. Like this isn't science fiction. This is possible today. So when it comes to content creation, this is the area that's actually changed a lot since this diagram was made. And I, you know, didn't want to make a full new one myself because I'm like, yeah, this is this is good enough. I'll just explain it to y'all. So content creation, what's happening to make basically not just distribution of digital content really easy, but the ability to be able to create physical goods in the real world and even easier new digital things is artificial intelligence. And the easiest one I know we all talk about is image generation. And for the record, probably a bad idea to commercialize AI images. Like I use this in this PowerPoint and this is all free, but it is right now very unclear how it'll play out in copyright courts. There's a really big case going on right now with Andy Warhol and a transformation case of an image, um, which I think will play into what happens with AI litigation around images. But I also think as well, that it's hard to learn these tools. So if you want to build really good AI images, uh, your cover designer might be able to just utilize that tool better. So I guess what I'm saying is respect our artists. They have a lot of um, a lot of skills that are very valuable. But what I'm also trying to say is that AI is making a lot of things that used to not be um, even possible way easier. 
So some things that are happening now are that we're able to convert our stories into videos and images as a reader's reading it so that they can experience like this more immersive thing and even music going on with our stories. Uh, we're able to now take text to video. So you could basically do that with this pro uh, program called runway.ml. There's the ability to turn your eBooks into audiobooks that have multicast narration. Is it as good as audio, regular audio narrators? No, definitely not. But there's an opportunity there for 90% of authors who can't afford that to be able to create content in that format. These are just some examples. There's plenty more. So I just wanted to highlight AI first. I know people think about that. A lot of AI is still science fictional. It's not actually really ready for public use. I would not recommend spending all your time researching AI today. I would not recommend diving into all these tools and figuring it out. These things are still in their infancy and will come about over the next three to four years. But now I'm gonna share some things that aren't in their infancy. And this is a lot of cool stuff. So let's talk about financing. So we used to think that either it's like either or, either a publisher takes over our business or it's, you know, we got to bootstrap ourselves. But I think we all know the problem of Amazon pays us royalties 60 days after. Maybe you put your business expenses on a credit card. That still means it's a 30-day break in terms of cash in and cash out. So it creates a lot of cash flow problems, especially for creators who are maybe having up and down income month by month, which is basically all of us. So one way to do that is Carrot um, is this credit card that you can actually use as a creative person to take out like much better credit options based off of your creative income. Now they prioritize subscribers, subscription revenue higher than anything else. So that's just one thing to note that these platforms value certain types of income streams more than others. Spotter is a platform that's now buying YouTube creators back catalog. So if you have videos on YouTube, they'll license your AdSense revenue for multiple years and give you that income upfront. I believe that Spotter is gonna move into this, doing this for authors, where let's say you make $1,000 a month off your books. Um, we project that you'll make 36,000 of the next, you know, whatever three years, we'll give you that advance. You'll be able to get the royalties after that. Um, and you know, here's that lump sum upfront. So there's different financing options coming about that don't involve crypto, that don't involve publishers, but involve more flexibility. I think that's interesting. Other things that are coming about are different monetization tools, right? So Patreon's one. We talk about Patreon a lot in what we do. Um, there's Fan House, which is for video creators. It's a lot of things for other types of creators. We're working on something for fiction authors called Ream, but that is subscriptions, monetizing to that. We're gonna talk a lot more about that. When it comes to merchandise, there's tons of different platforms. There's Spring, there's Samcart, there's Spreadshirt. There's all these different platforms that you can use to be able to create things um, that are in the real world, that exist today. Ad platforms, these are super interesting. So authors haven't really utilized sponsorships inside their books or newsletters that much. But you'd be surprised if you have like three or 4,000 people who are engaged in your newsletter list, that's worth like typically around $100 for a sponsorship, which isn't bad. So there's a lot of companies out there that are connecting companies with creative people who have an audience. So that would be kind of those ad platforms. And those are pretty cool. There's all these community management tools, right? Lalo, Circle, Geneva, all these things. So bottom line, I think we're understanding now like, like holy, holy moly. There's a lot going on. There's a lot of opportunity beyond this. And this is just the beginning really of this world that you're able to build around your stories, utilizing 
all these different software. But frankly, a lot of this can be very, very overwhelming. And I, once again, do not recommend diving into all of this overnight. There's a lot more we have to figure out first, which we're going to get to figuring that out, the foundation and where we should begin, what actions we should take. That's the whole second part of this. But, but before we get into our conversation, I already covered this, I think. Actually, yes, I did. I did cover this. I want to share my story. So I'll stop sharing my screen. I have like some slides that we'll use to guide our discussion for like, you know, the rest of our conversation. And I'll hang out here as long as y'all want. But I just want to share my story because I think it'll be helpful for us all to understand like how, how, how do I experience this? What is my view on how I've navigated the creator economy? And some of the tremendous highs and tremendous lows. So I'll stop sharing my screen and just talk to y'all. Oh, I actually, I'm gonna show this before that. So before I share with you my story, I wanna share with you a video of another creator story that I think will um, connect with. And then she plays into my story. So let's look at that first. Hopefully we can actually see it without me glitching. Uh, so, uh, okay, hey, X Natalie. Perfect. Can you see like a YouTube screen? Are we on YouTube right now or no? Yes. We're on YouTube. Beautiful. Yeah. Amazing. We're on, we're on YouTube now. So let me click into this. Ah. Oh my God. Here's an ad. I'm going to mute it. Oh, wait, can I mute an ad? I can. Let me mute this and just play it um, and skip it. Um, it's good. She, she's making money. Um, on YouTube, you make 55% of the ad revenue. So, hey, X Natalie will make 55% of this. Um, so, that's great. But I also don't like ads. So, <laughs> let's go back to the beginning of this video and watch the first two minutes. Because I think we felt what this person's feeling very deeply as creative people. She's a YouTuber. And she decided to go full-time on YouTube. And this is how her experience was. Can you hear what I'm, can you hear like a video play if I do this? Can you hear music or no? I can't. I can. no. Oh no, dang it. Huh. Oh, you know what I could do? Let's do this. Can you hear it now? Okay. All right. yeah. Everyone is always asked that one cliche question as a kid. What do you want to be when you grow up? Although there's not really a way to completely figure out that question as a child, I think inevitably humans tend to strive for a sense of purpose and meaning as to why we're here or why we exist. And for as long as I can remember, creating these videos has been my personal meaning as to why I exist. Whether it was filming a cringy skit or a shitty music video, I've always been in love with the concept of creating an idea or a story in my head and then seeing it come together. I would hope my ideas come together a little bit better now, considering the numerous amounts of years and sleepless nights I've spent working on this passion of mine. But eventually, when I graduated high school and was left quite 
beginning but it, i'm gonna spoil the next 15 minutes of the video and then i'll tell you my story so she after going full-time ended up realizing how messed up it is that every day she had basically a view count validating how good her stories were she ended up having basically like constant panic attacks um was unable to really continue doing this and then she kind of made this I don't know if what you'd call it pivot mindset shift where she just was like, I'm going to share this story and just stop worrying about an upload schedule. I'm going to stop worrying about an algorithm, about a title, about a thumbnail, and just create something that I care about. And that I think people who care about me will also care about. That video I showed you has over 2 million views and totally changed her life. I, I know her personally through a friend. Um, and like, she was not like, uh, doing, uh, I hope you have a great one. Um, but, uh, basically she now has started basically kind of like she's on YouTube. She's not like, you know, publishing videos on her own website, but she's totally doing her, her own thing in a sense, right? She's not trying to play the game. And she's uploaded maybe six videos in the last year. Um, and they're very different style than what you normally find on YouTube, but it's something that people really want. And it is succeeding very well. And she's creating this whole new kind of style of vlogging in YouTube called coming of age vlog. So that's, that's her story, right? That's what she's doing. But there's two informative things about that when it comes to how we approach our business, which is that when we're playing with our dreams, which we all are, this makes everything a bit tougher. It's not just a business like and numbers. Like these are our work, our life that we're putting into our stories. And that really matters. And then the other aspect of it is that sometimes when everyone zigs, you should zag. And she's zagging right now. And she's doing well. And I'm now going to tell you my story about zigging. So how I came to be where I'm at now is when I was 13, I was like, okay, I have to, I have to write. And no one, like everyone feels that urge, but what got me really into that was because at home in my family life, things were no bueno, no bueno. Essentially my parents got divorced and I found out my father was a gambler. So I was like, oh, wow. Okay. Uh, that's awkward dad. I didn't know that. Um, and, uh, I was really into sports and that was the thing he liked to play games of chance on. So it was like, okay, uh, I kind of want to write about this and I've always been interested in technology. And around that same time, Facebook, like the media started to switch around Facebook and the internet. And it was kind of like, Ooh, like there's maybe it's, maybe it's not all rosy. And I was like, I want to write about this, like this uncomfortable thing I'm feeling about technology and this uncomfortable thing I'm feeling in my life about being like, wow, how do I like get through this hard time? So stories were a way for me to create a world that I felt better in. And once I created that two years later, I was like, maybe I should start sharing this with other people. Maybe they'll feel the same way as me. 
And like probably everyone here, you know, you look, you, you look up, do a little Google search online. You're like, oh, there's trad versus indie. There's this like new thing coming out. You know, people are starting to do, maybe I'll, maybe I'll hop on and do this because I've always wanted to run my own business. I started listening to the podcast. I started kind of realizing like, wait, like maybe I can do this. Like if this person can like run this Facebook ad and make a living, like, why can't I? Like, why can't I? And that's like the promise of all this. Like we can all do this. We all have the ability us to create stories that people love and to make a living from it. So I, I thought I could do it and still think I can do it. But the thought here is important because I decided to take a year off from high school, between high school and college. I graduated early and told my mom, like, I'm basically like a senior. Please just let me like be here. I'm going to write full time and I'm going to make this happen. And I worked part time and put all of the money I made into running Facebook and Amazon ads, into publishing my books. I ended up publishing 12 by the end of this and was completely burnt out. Um, got to finally making like, I think my best month, I maybe had a quarter of a million page reads, which isn't terrible. I thought I was like doing well, but I realized my margins were low. I was working 80 hours a week and completely stressed out. And I, everything I used to like about writing is not something I like anymore. So I started creating content on YouTube. And in about six weeks, I had more success on YouTube than I had creating books. I was making like $2,000 in AdSense by my second full month monetized on YouTube, which was like, that was like, I was, I was rolling it. I thought I was like king of the block. So naturally I decided to get a bus, a school bus, like a rundown school bus. And with my roommate, decided to travel the country. And during all of this, I was just so determined to make a living as a creator. And for me, that living was innately tied up to how many people are clicking on my videos, how long are they watching, aka what's the read through like, and how many people, what's the volume of people I'm getting into this? And I have to do this now, right? Because it felt like if I didn't get in now, if I didn't blow up now, it's always going to become way too hard. Everyone was telling me five years from now, there's going to be so much more people doing this. It's going to be impossible to make it. You have to do it now. So I started taking really big risks in these videos. One of them was ordering 700,000 artificial rose petals from China. I actually just got a WhatsApp from the guy yesterday who runs the factory going, do you want more petals? And I'm like, no, I don't. Um, we were trying to make a, a viral video for Valentine's Day. I went to this island where a YouTuber that hit a million subscribers was live streaming to celebrate. And I asked him for an internship. Um, it, it worked, but it was a little wild uh, to kayak there in an inflatable raft. My friend didn't know how to swim. So this was all just this life that I tried to turn. My, I basically tried to turn my life into a throwing novel. And all the meanwhile, I woke up every day with this crushing pressure, feeling like I wasn't good enough, feeling completely inadequate because this person was getting more views than me. I wasn't as far as I wanted to be. And I always had a number to benchmark myself against and be like, oh, that could have been better. Constantly. It was a constant reminder. Literally, you would see that red arrow showing you, you did worse that day than last day. So this is when I started working for a live streaming company who was just getting started. And I learned a lot about how platforms get started on the internet. And they actually ended up asking me because of my books, like my readers would watch my YouTube videos on their app. And they thought I was a big creator, which just shows you one insight, which is that if you put yourself out there, the ecosystem that you're building, especially between platforms can have so much more power than you'd ever realize. 
And that opportunity did change my life, but it also showed me something. It gave me space where they were, they were paying me every week to be on the platform, regardless of the views I got. I was basically getting like a salary as a creative person, which is like really, really rare. And it made me take a step back and realize just how messed up the position I got myself into was where all I was caring about was a number. Like I was quantifying my, my viewers and my readers to the extent that I was just worried about next day's page reads and the next day's ad, ad conversion and, and CPC, which is cost per click. And I realized just how much that's not what readers want. And that's not what I want. So I started experimenting about like, what, what could we build? What could we do that could be different? And that's when I met Amelia, who actually inspired this book. About like seven or eight months later, I met her because I was like, just trying to meet people who are doing different things because I was like, okay, either I go traditionally publishing and like, let like, you know, New York rule me, which I didn't want. I like booked, like, this is how serious I was. I, I spent like, like $400 to meet with like agents. Cause you can do that. They like rip you off on these calls. I was like, I just wanted to ask them about the industry. Um, and I was lucky I had the, you know, the savings to do that, but also like, I was so desperate to have someone tell me like something that would make me feel like I could do this like this was something I wanted that wouldn't get me into the state where I felt so stressed out and anxiety ridden because I didn't have the freedom I was chained to these things so I was like battling back and forth between indie and traditional publishing this is literally like a year ago and I was very very much still in this place of like all I want to do is be a storyteller stories have helped I wouldn't don't know where I'd be without stories in my life I wanted to give that feeling to other people, but I didn't know how. And then I met Amelia and she was doing something that I thought was just incredible and not talked about, which was being able to have the foundation of her business completely off any one platform that monopolizes user data and uses retention algorithms to commodify our stories and put us in a very competitive environment. It was a place that she like mostly owned. And that was her Patreon that she had about 2000 readers on paying her monthly. And I was like, oh my God, like what? That's possible? Like, I didn't know people were doing that. Like I only knew like, you know, what everyone was selling me courses on that I could like run Facebook ads and Amazon ads and make a living. And this felt so much more sustainable, so much more about like what reading really is. And over the last year, me and Amelia technically met about like 10 months ago. I've had the privilege of being able to work with her, to work with all of you who are in a similar mindset and try and experiment, what could a different future look like? I can tell you because there's so many people I've met, dozens that are doing different things, it is possible. And I'll leave you with this one quote from Jay Klaus. Jay Klaus is a creator who is all about memberships and community. So he runs an amazing course in it. It's a really expensive course. So I don't know if I'd recommend signing up for it to be, to be frank, um, but he creates a lot of great free content and I, I would recommend that. Um, and he has this saying about the word sovereign, creator. And a sovereign nation is a nation that works with other nations. Rarely does a nation totally closed off. Like even North Korea gets supplies from like China, right? But they have their own freedom to set their own rules for the people in their nation and to be able to have a sort of autonomy uh, over how they want to live their life. Not complete autonomy. Like if big, bad United States like decides to roll in, I don't know, somewhere else, um, it could probably, we have a strong military, right? Just like if Amazon decides to completely shut down your accounts, even if you're a sovereign creator, that won't be fun. But the idea of a sovereign creator 
is that your business exists completely extant to any third-party social media platforms, that you're able to actually build your business off these places. And that doesn't mean sacrificing the benefits of it. The beauty of being a sovereign creator is that when you give yourself that freedom and direct relationship to your fans, you can actually utilize these third-party social platforms better than anyone else. You can do better on Amazon than anyone else. And there's proof of this. Lit RPG is a genre that I think is doing this better than anywhere else. And if you look at them, look at these Lit RPG creators. Over the last five years, I've literally watched the slow march of them like taking over the Amazon store. But they're not building their businesses based on Amazon. They're building them based around Discord groups, Patreons, and all these other things. And that's what they're building their business around. Of course, um, me and Amelia, many of you know, are working on this um, platform called Ream that's trying to be your platform as a fiction author to do all of this, being able to have your own connection to your audience and be able to monetize that through subscription in a really easy way. But there's people doing this right now all the time. And I think we can see the power of it. They're able to create these incredible communities and businesses that are just from some of the conversations we've had behind the scenes, like it's, it's unbelievably mind blowing. And we'll keep trying bringing some more on the podcast. They could share their stories publicly, but this is also happening across genres. It's not just lit RPG. I, I want to let everyone know that it is happening in romance. It's happening in science fiction, in fantasy, in thriller. It's happening in every genre. Authors are realizing this and readers are wanting this because like we said in the beginning, the internet's kind of turned into a wasteland that's gamified our mental health, both for creatives and for readers. And what if we could create a space that changed that? And we have the power to do that today. That's not science fictional. And that's where the opportunity is as authors fulfilling these human needs at greater levels before. So that's really my talk. That's, that is the creator economy. That is the foundation of it. But I know we left out all the fun stuff. How can we talk about your businesses? How can we build this foundation for you? And how can we take action? And that's where I want to open the floor up because all this stuff's best talked through rather than me talking at you. The foundation, the story, the motivation that this is possible. Yeah, sorry, I talked to you for a bit. I'm sorry. But now I actually want to have a conversation with all of y'all in the remaining time we have, which I said, I'll hang out for as long as y'all want. So I want to bring up one question. I'm going to share my slides again. Do, do, do. Uh, uh, uh. Give me one moment. Because my one question is what's going to kick off our conversation. And y'all can ask about anything, but is something I want y'all to reflect on. What is, what is your author mission statement? This company, Snack TVH, one last story, is run by Noah Schnapp. I don't know if anyone knows Noah Schnapp. He's uh, from The Stranger Things. And he's creating a company right now um, that's basically like Nutella, but like vegan and no palm oil. Really, really cool. Like the video that they created on this is like incredible about it. And it's done really well. And now he's letting his fans invest into his company through this like interesting new like investment vehicle that is that is reg regulated, um, which I think is really, really interesting. Um, so he's like building something from his community ground up with this mission, right? That's not about the Nutella. Like it's about making a better planet, which that's his mission. And I don't think everyone's mission should be to simply create a better planet. Um, but I do think we should have a mission that extends beyond our stories because it's that mission, that feeling, that meta story that our readers connect with because we're not in the business of selling books. We're in the business of selling that feeling. So I want everyone to reflect on that. Um, we have Nike here, what Nike's mission is, right? It's not about selling shoes. It's about bringing inspiration, innovation to every athlete in the world. 
So we must have a similar mission for our, for our book business, for people to really connect to it, to become super fans, to share our books with everyone. So I'd love to hear from y'all what your mission statement is for your stories, for your author business. And if you haven't thought about it, share something preliminary, because I'm sure everyone has something when they go, this is my why. You can also ask any other questions, talk about anything else. Can you share yours? Sure, yeah. Let's get an example here and get my juices flowing. <laughs> sure. So my, I write science fiction, as I said, and I'm gonna recommend, you know, let me go to the end because I'm gonna share an issue statement, but first I wanna give some context on what can help people. That's our next chat. This book is unbelievable. I am like tearing through it right now. And I'm like, oh my God, John Truby, I'm in love with you. And it's called The Anatomy of Genres. And it's about the 14 most popular genres, which I think basically all of us will fall into them. Um, and the fundamental values that underlie them and why readers like to read them, the missions behind it. It's just, oh, it's genius. So I write science fiction. So before I say my mission statement, that's essential. Like my audience, who my readers are. So what I'm trying to do for my readers, science fiction, is I want to empower my readers um, to envision better futures for themselves. That, that's my ultimate mission. I'm focused on helping people live better futures. And storytelling for me is what empowered me to make my life better when I was at my worst. So it's something that's like very core to what I believe. So for all of us, like romance has very different things that it hits on than science fiction. Now, you know, science fiction romance, which hits on both, right? All these blend. But I think genre, who your readers are, are intimate in your, in your mission statement. And for me, I'm mostly focused on people who are thinking about the future and passionate about it. So those might be builders, like engineers, scientists, entrepreneurs, even like creators, we're all building the future. But another segment of that is young people. I'm especially passionate about young, young adults and the next generation and how we think of our collective futures. So that's my audience when I'm, when I'm talking about that mission statement. Just like when I say I empower people, I really empower young people. I empower people who are building futures with science, technology, engineering, and story to imagine and envision better futures. Just like Nike inspires athletes um, to have inspiration, innovation. That would be mine, but it's going to evolve. Like, don't think that's going to stay the same at 50, but, uh, you know, it can carry us for a bit. Let me take this off actually, but I'm curious to hear from everyone else what their, what their mission statement is, because just so you know where we're going with this, this isn't like an arbitrary question. I want to then see how we can build off our mission statement for lack of better words, author empires, how we can create businesses in the creator economy off of just a mission statement. That's like the, the exercise. And then the last part of this is gonna be, how can we get people to find out about it? Which is how can we market it? That's the conversation we're having today. So I want to let y'all know that it's gonna get more exciting from here. This is deep stuff. I don't think I'm prepared. <laughs> I, that's okay. You know, this is something that like, I want you, you can reflect on separately, right? Like this is, this is just to have in the back of your mind, like essentially this will go to my next slide here. Authors are small startups. And I want to share something because I never thought that like running like a technology startup would give me insights on reading and writing, but oh my God has it. And I want to share some of like my unique insights that me and Amelia both have had is as we've started something um, in, in, a, in another business that's not in, you know, just like selling books into readers, right? And 
but we've noticed that most people do who start businesses in this space who are maybe like competitors or you know whatever ancillary um, people that are market players they're all super focused on metrics how can we hit this number of users make this number of money how can we reach this funding round and they kind of obfuscate because they're trying to play for those metrics what really feeling they're getting right because what ends up happening to 99% of businesses is they fail they fail right so why do they fail when a lot start making progress? And a lot of times it's because they don't understand their core user journey. They don't understand that because they're so focused on just, oh, we got them to buy it. But you really need to nail down on like, why is someone buying your product? Why do they like your messaging? Why are they coming back, right? And once you figure that out and who that person is and why that ideal customer profile, you know, have what people call product market fit. And that's when you can start investing in advertising and scale up your business. That's like traditional like business type stuff that no one really does. Like it's funny because it's not like that hard, but very few people do it because it takes discipline. It's the same thing in the author world. I made this mistake where I saw sales going up and thought, ooh, ads are working, right? But I never really understood that core reader journey and never was able to build what Joe Solari calls, which is another book I want to recommend everyone. I read it this week called Advantage. It's incredible. It's an incredible book all about this, literally. And if you just read that book, he'll give you all the tools you need to figure this out for yourself. Um, I wish I could give you everything in this talk, but I, I can give you everywhere to go. Um, another insight that I found is who are your early adopters? And this is the hardest question you have to ask yourself because oftentimes it's a false signal. It's a completely false signal. I have a friend right now who's starting a company for musicians and it's to help musicians get discovered. And he's right now, I think, about to shut it down, which is really sad. Um, he's been working on it for a year. Uh, so I, I won't share names because I, I hope it does work out for him. And if it does, then I can share a success story. But um, he got a really false signal from early people who are using his product. And they weren't actually the right people for it. So what I mean by that is a lot of times we use promotions and discount deals to hack our way into getting readers. And Oftentimes those are bringing in the wrong readers. Not that we can't utilize those things. Once we have our core readers, promotions can bring more of the right reader in. But in the beginning, they can bring in your wrong reader and give you a false signal about what your story means to someone. Fire your readers is another thing. Because if you've done this, like me, I've made that mistake of not really searching for story market fit, not going after the right early adopters. You might then be like, oh, well, I have this base of readers that I'm like, they just want 99 cent books for me. And maybe you choose to service them, especially if you're full-time, I wouldn't recommend completely like taking your existing business. But if you're like me, like I was only in profit making a bit each month, like sure, I was maybe able to clear like one to 2K in revenue, but in profit, it was not too pretty. Um, I was like, these, th what's working out for me right now is not this. So I chose to like fire my readers and, and restart things, which was on YouTube and you heard my story, but one thing is like if a reader, if you have this segment of readers that might not fit into this longer term mission, this long term game that you're playing, but are readers that found you through an area that maybe you didn't want, um, don't actually fire them. Don't tell them like you're gone, but just be like, you know what? It's okay. I'm not servicing that reader. Like this is my ideal reader profile for now. And maybe one day you'll be able to serve them again. Um, that's exactly what great companies do. A lot of times, um, essentially, like, especially in customer service focused businesses. And if any of you are an editor or cover designer, you definitely know this. You have people who are way more money than they're worth. Like they take up a lot of your time. And if you continue servicing clients like that, that could 
that could really damage your mental health and your business in the long run. So you have to like almost politely fire them. It's the hardest thing to do. As authors, it's a bit easier because we don't have to fire our readers literally, but we do have to think about, well, who are we really serving, right? And that might mean excluding some people because we don't want to serve everyone. If we serve everyone, we're not going to serve anyone. And then this is another question. Are you playing for metrics or for the long term? A lot of times because it's tied up to like us being able to do this. It's like, oh, I want to quit my job. I have to make a certain number of income to support my family. Like real, real stuff that's really important. And it's very easy to get caught up in like, I just need to hit that $5,000 a month and then I'll quit my job. But I know more authors who've quit their job and gone back to it than have quit their job and actually stayed quit. So I don't want that to happen to you because functionally, like I, I'm a, uh, my story is like weird, but functionally that also kind of happened to me with even airtime because airtime, that deal that I got where I was still tied to their platform. I never built my own platform as a creative person. The deal ended, the startup lost all their money and they failed. And I was left out cold. I'm fine. Don't worry about me. But these are all lessons for you because the mistakes that I've made and I've seen other people make. This though is the core of it. This is the core of what, what this allows you to do, what the creator economy is, what this mission statement is. When you figure out your core customer, this is, I think, the most innovative thing ever done in the history of media. And I don't think Disney's done anything really that innovative since this moment. Um, and Walt Disney, for all the problems he has, created this synergy map that I think has come to define modern media businesses. Um, and I can nerd out about TV and what they're going through now because there's so much um, to learn from authors. That might be a whole separate fireside chat. But what I do want people to know is that when you figure out your core customer, the core thing you're doing for them, the core feeling you're giving them, there's so much more you can give them around that. Like your books are one piece of that world. And as you continue to merge, again, your story world into the real world, that's where the magic happens. That's where you can even really begin to make really interesting amounts of money. That's where you can create things that scale beyond your books and feedback into it. Harry Potter is a big franchise example of this, right? But there's now new modern day franchises being created as we speak. I've mentioned them before, but Galaxy's Edge is doing this really effectively as a group of authors, their group of sci-fi authors. I recommend checking them out. They have a membership as one of the foundations of what they're doing. They are in KU and exclusive to Audible. So this is not saying you have to leave these platforms to do these things, but they're, they've mastered their customer journey and what their customers want. And on a podcast, they mentioned that they make like double or triple what they do off merch than off the rest of their book and audiobook sales. So they've nailed their core customer to a, to a T that they can sell merch that they want because they feel closer to that story when they get to literally bring the story into the real world. And merch is very easy to create nowadays, right? Like it's, it's something that's pretty easy. And, and Disney makes like ungodly amounts of money off their merch. So this isn't reinventing the wheel, right? It's just being able to utilize this synergy map for yourself. Other things, like when we get into like other forms of content, again, like now you have, if anyone's familiar with um, Jonathan Yanez, he ran a Kickstarter that made $50,000 to fund a short film for one of his sci-fi stories. And it's like badass, like production studio, like real high level stuff that he's creating as an indie author. An indie author is now creating their own movie. He doesn't need the studios. He doesn't need any of that. He's doing it himself based off the back of his fans. So like TV and film, all of these things are not out of scope. They're completely in scope. When you again build this direct relationship to your fans and get them so bought into what you're doing, because it's not about them wanting your next book. It's them wanting to be deeper into your world. 
which goes back to the world building concept, right? And your books are the core of that. Your books are what's driving that. So don't forget that. Stories, storytellers rule the world and stories make the world go round. So this, this isn't about trying to become filmmakers tomorrow. This is about getting in on what is your really story doing psychologically with people. Um, music's another thing as well. So uh, you see artists more and more getting into this. Um, and you've already, always kind of seen this emergence between genres, but Star Set's one of my favorite bands. They have a whole science fiction series that they didn't write, but commissioned someone to write. And it sold pretty well because they had this band that does well. It can go the other way around where authors can create music and soundtracks based on their book. And you might say, oh, well, that's just so impossible. But I mentioned the word AI and let's even just take AI out of it. Software is making it easier to create more and more things and for you to collaborate with more people. That's all in scope. Comic books are in scope. Amelia is doing that as we speak and is getting off to a really good start. It's going well. Yeah, it's, it's, going, it's going well. How did it go after, I know the first chapter you had eight people subscribe after you posted the first chapter to Webtoons. What happened after that? Yes. So I published the next, the second chapter, um, I think a couple of days ago on December 1st. And I had one person subscribe at my $10 tier. Um, and then I realized that I needed to, I was like doing research because I wanted more pe people to subscribe, obviously. And I was looking at other people who are doing comics and have a Patreon as well. And a lot of them were putting um, like graphics at the end of their um, mm -hmm. episode that said, hey, my graphic novel, my 18 plus not safe for work graphic novels on Patreon. And they'll, they'll do like a, a like a, a panel that's not safe for work, but like blur everything out. And so I was like, oh, maybe I should do that. So I just added those panels today to the first two chapters. So we'll see how it goes. That's very cool. And obviously comic books are something that, you know, you, you aren't gonna build your whole synergy map from day one. The idea is you have to get your core working really, really well. And when we talk about things like advertising, advertising can be an incredible way to supercharge all of this. Because if you have this working, your ads will be unbelievably profitable compared to everyone else. This is how Harry Potter has stayed at the top of the Kimmel store forever. If you actually look at the financials of Pottermore, because they have to publish it because they're in the UK. So I've dove in deep into this. They don't make money off their eBooks. They lose money off their eBooks. They make about 30 to $40 million a year off audiobooks and eBooks, but they like barely break even. We're talking about, they like lose about a million. So like when you see Harry Potter at the top of the charts, they almost are always there, those seven books they're actually losing money off of that. Like they're not really making money off the books, but it's a $33 billion franchise. That's how much Harry Potter's worth and everything else off of that, right? The movies, the merch, the, the wands, the theme park, like that's all feeding into it. And she's using the books as the foundation of it. So this is something that like, that's a tremendous scale, right? But think about that, the scale of like, how can I build a six figure business doing that? That's very achievable. And that's still something that follows these same fundamentals. And Amelia's doing that. Um, there, there, there's, there's again, more, more to this is you can craft your map any way you want. For nonfiction authors, like Disney is not the most informative answer. It's still a synergy map, but for them, it feels like, you know, courses maybe works more, which is great. Like you could do courses off yours. You could do masterminds. You could do all these sorts of things, but let's not underrate what we can do as fiction authors. And I just also want to point to, there's a globalization of content creation that's happening. That's enabling you to take these same core psychological principles that are working within your genre Genre is almost universal. Yes, there's cultural context and differences that do matter, but 
we can see that these stories comport across time and generation, meaning that you can now take your books and run a very similar business like this in Germany, in France, in French maybe, and even reach now as North Africa is going online in West Africa. That's a ton of people. Bottom line is like what you build today, if you think like 50 to 60 years out, like what could you pass down to your family? Like what could this IP be worth as you build that moat and system? It's incredible. But none of it comes from focusing on the next tactics. Because 70 years from now, the next tactics don't matter. It's that core IP and connection you gave your readers that was better than anyone else that can be utilized into all these interesting things. And it's such a long game, right? It's decades, but you can build something that's beyond long lasting. Um, and at least for me, I, I'm interested in that. Like, why would I want to play this game for five years and, and die? I want to be an author who my readers pass down to their kids and their kids to their kids. So this is where we get into subscriptions and then we'll open it up to, I think, more of a broader conversation. So benefits of subscriptions here. So when we go back to this flywheel, I just want us to keep visualizing this. Subscriptions can be the core of it because all of this stuff, like if we're thinking in our own heads about like, how do we figure out our mission? What do our readers really want? What is story market fit? What are, who are early adopters? We're going to get nowhere. We're going to go nowhere because like, that is very difficult to figure out all yourself. Some of us really know that we like are our core reader and some of us just have enough data elsewhere. But a great thing about subscriptions that's underrated is that it's the home that can give you that feedback loop between you, your fans and that close relationship to be able to figure out what is it that they really want? What is it that they're really coming back for? And it makes you responsive to them because if they don't want what you're giving them the next month, they'll literally stop subscribing. Yet if they want it, um, Disney charges people like what? It's like $6,000 now to go to Disney and buy a lightsaber and take your family there. And you're like, you know, still probably like on the streets at that point. So, you know, people are willing to pay a lot for things they really want to connect to. I'm not saying charge your readers $6,000 a month. I, I really would advise against that actually. But five-ish, $10 a month to start, right? And start offering early access to your stories and closer connection to your community and see, is this connecting with them? A lot of people are doing it. And if you don't want it to be the core of your business, right? Because I understand like subscription shouldn't be the core for every author. Like they are for a lot. For someone like Amelia it is, she can test all of her ideas there. She can pull her readers on what's working and tweak everything based on their response and evolve her mission and grow her mission with her readers because she has an unbelievable feedback loop in a place that she has ownership of. But, you know, every author might not be the right time for you, might not be the right thing. I get it. You might want to utilize finding this thing, like this core, your mission in a different way. But subscriptions can still be a vital part of your business. It can be a part of your synergy map because maybe you're offering audio on subscription, one of your IPs. Maybe you're offering access to even like repeatable consumer packaged goods, which this is happening now. Creators are creating packaged goods. I pointed to an example of Noah Schnapp, but that's a subscription-like product. So that, that nature's there. But maybe you're also offering early access to eventually like portions of your content. Like Disney puts out a lot of their content for free or, or low price point, but then gates a lot of stuff behind Disney Plus. Maybe you have your own Disney Plus one day. Maybe you collaborate with other authors who utilize that. So I'm not here to tell you exactly where subscriptions fall into your business. It can fall anywhere on this map because anything can be monetized through subscriptions because this entire business is built off of people continually coming back to it. So that's the beauty of it, but it could be the foundation of it. And if you want it to be the foundation of it, um, I think that's where subscriptions for authors is especially helpful. 
Um, and I want to kind of paint the bigger picture of all of this because it's like, why do subscriptions matter? It's because at the end of the day, this is like the core of what the creator economy allows you to do. Creative space allows you to connect with your fans, have a community and your stories all in one place that then you can listen to your readers and give them more of what they want and evolve your offering over time by maybe adding new tiers, et cetera. And there's plenty of subscription platforms to do that. And today's not talking about subscription platforms, um, but if any of you have questions about what subscription platforms you should use as an author, I'm here for you. We're, we're here to answer it. Um, and fellow authors also have lots of insights, but I now just wanna open it up to a conversation because 90 pages of my book focuses on content creation. So if you think it's all about the foundation and you know the heavy stuff, it, it is, but I also focus on the most important thing, which is how do you find new readers and how do you get them to love what you're doing? That is the core of this, right? Nothing would matter without that. I don't wanna break down 90 pages to you all today. Like that's a lot. I kind of gave you most of the rundown at the beginning of the book. Um, so, you know, you can still read if you want. I think there's a lot more still in there I didn't cover, but this is the core of it, right? How do we get people to find our work? And utilizing these platforms, like if you don't use a platform, like even Gmail is technically a platform if we wanna get real about these things. Like if you don't use a way to find readers initially, then that's okay but you're gonna to have to find them in the real world somehow. And <laughs> that might be harder. So if we wanna talk about utilizing digital platforms for discovery, I'm here, all ears for your questions, TikTok, YouTube, um, even things like on Amazon, utilizing that discovery algorithm. Um, I'm here for that because I wanna help you find new readers. So totally open conversation. And I mean, if you just wanna hear me share stuff, I can, but I really wanna hear what you wanna hear. So ask away. I can go. Um, I'm sort of like taking a couple steps back uh, when you were talking about the mission statement. And that is something that I honestly haven't really given a whole lot of thought to as far as books go. But um, when I was just out of college, I started, I studied photography and um, I started a, a personal photography magazine. I printed it myself with like a fleet of Epson printers. And we would bind it by hand and send it out to the, the few subscribers that we had. Um, the point of that magazine was to get people to share personal work because it was a fine art program that then had a more marketable program like attached to it where I studied. Um, and I saw some success. I did not make any money, but I got attention which was great. I landed a job at the New York Times right out of school as an edit, as a photo editor. Um, I quickly ran home after that. That was terrible. <laughs> but um, I kept going and kept making this, this magazine. And I would showcase any, any authors or any photographers who were pr producing personal work, not work that they were doing for money. So it was definitely more like in the fine art category. So about six months ago, I started writing um, a, a memoir, I guess you could call it, using really short pieces of scenes from my life. And it reminded me a lot of the magazine, which I did eventually leave, like right, right 
right as I started to get some success and I got an order from the, the SF MoMA, you know, to send them like 15 magazines so they could put it in their bookstore. And I had just found a job that ended up being really creative and I, and I shut the whole thing down. I never sent them their order. But when I started writing the memoir, it's super, super personal. And um, immediately I just wanted to share it. Um, it's, it, it harkened back to my time when I, when I was running the magazine. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm at now. What I'm not sure about is how to connect fiction with personal work. And that's kind of like the, the piece that I'm trying to put together right now. Um, I'm still working on the memoir, but th there's complications with that from like family obligations. Um, so I'm still doing that, but I guess that's kind of like you were talking about a mission statement. So what I want to do is find a way to connect with readers who can see the personal aspect of my life and how it relates to my fiction work. Um, because it's not quite, I mean, the idea of writing to market is just, I can't handle it anymore. You know, I've done that thing. I've done Facebook ads. I've done AMS. Like it just, I have newsletters. I'm on Facebook. Like it's just all of these things. And the only thing that's ever really worked for me is producing and sharing personal work. So I don't have a mission statement yet, but that's just kind of where I'm coming from. So that's my story. Well, I think, first of all, thank you for sharing. And that's totally epic that you just out of college were like, oh, yeah, your Times hired me. Like, no big deal. It was that's terrible. It was so terrible. <laughs> no, I mean, I can imagine it was, a, you know, maybe it was, it, it still is a huge accomplishment if it was a, maybe not the best experience. But here would be my advice to you. So the word, uh, you know, writing to market, I... I think there's a lot of really valuable principles, in it, but I think that there's something deeper behind what we can do, which is write to community. And some of the biggest stories don't fit a defined market. So one I think about is Eat, Pray, Love. So Eat, Pray, Love found uh, basically an audience of like 30 year old women who weren't married yet. And that, that was like the emotion it hit to and the journey it took people to. It just, again, like how do I write for that? is that's not a genre like that I could really bucket that into right but that's clearly like there is a market there for that but you know you're really writing again to that community of people and that's what enabled that to become a huge bestseller because having to think about these things is how words travel right so readers at the end of the day what powers your business is reader recommendations if readers aren't telling their friends about your work you will you will not make it as an author that just that's blunt but it's true so how can your, the, the word about your story travel um, through, through social networks, like in deep ties? Because it's not enough to just tell someone, oh, there's this great book, go read it. Stories don't worry like that. Uh, Joe Solari calls them complex contagions. So to get someone to be infected with your story world, and actually there's a quite a bit of friction. So this is where actually advertising oftentimes isn't the best way to find your readers because it's a very low friction way to find them. So to give you a false signal, because actually to really immerse your readers in a world is a complex contagion. It takes a lot of time. So you have to then think about if I'm just a human being reading your book, 
how am I going to know that this connected with me so that I need to share it with someone else, right? And the best way to do this is through your characters and fiction. So you're talking personal stories. And I think for you, that could be great. But just talking to everyone else, I'm not suggesting like you as an author, put your personal story out there and, and do that. Like you don't need to. Your characters are the people that we're having the parasocial relationships, yeah. people that we're connecting with. So your characters are the main characters of this story and world. Like it's Mickey Mouse, right? It's not Walt Disney, it's Mickey. Yeah, I, I agree. Like going off of that, I know like when I write, I write, my characters aren't just like random. A lot of the, like my characters deal with very personal things that I'm dealing with, like at that moment or I have dealt with in my life. And it really is a way for like, this is like kind of off of what you're saying or not really close to it. But like, for me, it's been very like therapeutic to write about my characters going through the same thing that I'm going through because like I can like figure out things that I couldn't in my real life because it's not me, it's my character who's going through it. Um, and so like, that's one of the ways like I use my personal stories like in my fiction stories, but I also like, kind of going off what Michael said um, with like people recommending, I'm doing this, um, I'm using Letter Loop, um, which is this like shared newsletter and I'm starting it next year. And people get to kind of make their own character in this world that I create and they can share it, like they can become that character in one of my fictional worlds and write a story in that fictional world. That's sort of like my world. Um, but they can put their personal experiences in, in their characters as well. So those are just like two things that I sort of kind of do that kind of relate to that. Yeah, and this is part of like the creator economy, right? These are community building tools that help you connect with your fans. And there's like so many interesting things like this coming out. And I, I guess I, me, me and Amelia try and really keep a pulse on this. So we only will recommend you stuff that we think is really cool. Um, and I think this, this is interesting. Even like you mentioned, Misty, about role-playing, um, like the D&D &D group that had success. Oh, I pinned myself. I didn't want to do that. Unpin. Um, your characters could role-play. And one thing you could think about when getting your community started as well, because there's this, community is a buzzword, but I didn't define community um, in my talk, but community is like a shared social space that can exist in the real world or in the or in the you know internet that your readers can have connections with both maybe you or your story world and other readers who also are immersed in it. And it's very tough, like when you're first starting off, it's like super community, like what's gonna happen in this community, right? But one thing you can do, even like with role playing and letter loop can build on this in your newsletter, is that your readers actually want to be your character. That's part of the reason why they're reading your books. They're so connected to them that part of, not only do they see part of themselves in their characters, and yeah, by proxy, probably part of you, especially I do the same thing as Amelia. I put myself into my stories. You probably all do that. So they probably see you in their characters too. So there's a whole relationship feedback loop there, but you can just focus on your characters if you want. Then they can be your characters, right? And people love cosplaying. But if you just role play in these worlds, it's a very easy way to get people started, right? Like, or even talking to your characters. And we've we've talked about this in past chats, but Amelia actually has a has a bot in her Discord that does this. Um, and Discord, for, for to be honest, probably isn't the best community platform for authors. I don't know if there is a best one, um, but there's different things you can do to to hack that.
Can can I go back to what the platforms that you were talking about to to find readers? Um, I I just finished my first book and I heard Amelia at Twenty Books and was like, this would be a great way. Subscription is a great way to see if this works because I'm dra I'm drafting book two and I'm like, let's make sure this works right before I spend forever on book two and three. So I thought she's so brilliant. <laughs> Test everything out. But being on those subscriptions, I mean, you still have to get, I know you're using Wattpad, right? And that's got its own kind of community and readers that are looking for stories. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not real, like, I just don't have time. I'm trying to retire from my business. And I'm like, I just don't want to be on social when I want to write, like time's limited. And I know you need to build a community. So it's kind of that loop that authors find themselves in. But to find readers for a subscription, what are your... What are your recommends on that? Um, so I know at least for me, you don't have to be super, like when I started, I was like, I wasn't social at all. <laughs> I'm very introverted um, just in my everyday life too. So it, it was very difficult um, to like do anything like commenting or responding um, to people. But Wattpad, you don't have to. Like, I think they're implementing, if you were to go the Wattpad route, you can just post a chapter and post like your author's note. Um, and they're also implementing, I believe, in the next few weeks where you can like a comment so you don't actually have to respond to it. So you can just go in there and like it if people act like if people or when people leave comments. Um, so you, you could do it that way, or if you have or have started creating a newsletter, you could start dropping chapters like one at a time through your newsletter too, um, which is kind of like not too much. It's not social media. It's, yeah. It's very more, it's more private. Um, I think that but, that's probably the route, but I was also looking at book review. Have you seen, have you ever thought of those where you like put your book up for no. review and they like, it's a paid thing. Oh, it like kind of like uh, bookstore. I, I maybe I don't have my list, but I was like looking at a few of these where you pay and they send your book out for people in your genre to review, and and you don't know who who's going to review. You know they can't guarantee you. They just send out your book and and you get reviews. And and I thought maybe that might be a way to build a newsletter, where it's not really an ad, but paying for that service. Never heard of it. Never tried it. <laughs> I have tried Booksprout, um, okay. where they, they're mostly for doing like, um, once your book is live on like Amazon, they'll, okay. you can go to them and I think it's like $5 a month or something and you can send your book out and people can review it and, and they'll okay. leave reviews on like Amazon and all the retailers if you want them to, um, but that could get like your 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 book in to people's hands, but it might not be the right people's hands. Like I did that a lot in the beginning. Um, so I'm not gonna say not to do it. Like on on book spread at least. Yeah. Um but did yeah, I those, also, those false readers like Michael was talking about. <laughs> Is that why well, I did I did a lot of book funnel, like book funnel free, um, where people download the book for free and I just didn't get much value from them. Um, I got more value from people who read for free on Wattpad, honestly. Uh, like they're, that's what people are there on Wattpad to, to read is for free, but they have given me more value than like 
book funnel emails have. Okay. Okay. That's great. Thank you. Thank but, you. Yeah, of course. I don't know if Michael has any, anything I'll, to I'll, add. I'll share my advice, which I don't, I want to say like, agree, like ditto on what Amelia said. And I think to, just to add maybe a, a, another layer of insight is that there's a pressure when we're first getting started to do everything to try and find readers. But that's giving you like, I, for someone who like is an artist and like I talked about not liking data, data is extremely powerful when we use it, right? And most people don't because not only can you get false readers, you can get false signals. So if you're doing something on five different platforms, how are you gonna really know what's driving conversion? How are you gonna really know what's driving readers to actually like you? You could survey them and ask them, ask every reader, how did you find me? Where did it go? And then you'd figure it out, but that's a lot of waste of time. You may have just wasted time on four platforms that didn't work. The truth is it's not like, oh, one platform has magic and the other one doesn't. None of these platforms have magic. So you can make anyone work. You can make any place work. You can make Wattpad work, you can make World Road work. You can make your own website work as long as you have some inbound into it. You can make TikTok work, YouTube. So that's just my, my advice there. There's no, there's no magic and there's no need to do everything in search for magic. So I would pick one thing, especially because you don't have a lot of time. And I understand that because I don't have a lot of time. I don't think any of us have a lot of time or certainly not enough. So my advice is to pick one platform, one thing that you're using to reach your readers and do it really freaking well, like better than anyone. And the one thing to realize here is that it's not the big things that make a difference. It's the small things. The small things make the biggest difference. And it's not getting perfectionist. No, I'm talking like you, you, you being able to have a slightly better automation sequence that personally follows up the reader. Because here's the thing now, we, we now know when readers, when we get emails that they're templated and I delete most emails that feel marketing. And I'm not the only one that does that. We probably all do that. But then we as authors send out all these marketing emails as if it'll work. And it doesn't, it does not work. So what if you literally, and th this is crazy, this doesn't work at scale, but Paul Graham, uh, who runs Y Combinator, and I'm going to use my insights I have from the author world and from the tech startup world. Um, he used to run Y Combinator, huge startup guy. So he's helped huge multi-billion dollar businesses grow. And he said, the way to create a big business is to do things that don't scale. Automation scale, right? Automation scale. So why would you do that? The first hundred people that subscribe to your email list, what if you sent them literally a personal note that said, hey, thanks so much. It could be partially templated, but you use their actual maybe not name, but even just make it feel personal, right? Like, hey, like I saw you just downloaded my book. It means a lot to me. I hope you enjoy it. You might not have their name. That's okay. Just say, hey, or hello. I mean, that seems really small, right? But now we're talking about something like book funnel. Let's say you want to do a book funnel. The biggest reason why book funnel doesn't work is people don't read the books there. It's not because book funnel doesn't get your book in front of people. I don't know if it'll get in front of the right people, but that's true about everywhere you go. You have to find out if it's the right people. But first you have to get them to read your book. So how do you get them to do that, right? So what if, this sort of strategy, this is very something small and simple, but boosted your read-through rate from 2% to 3%. That's a huge difference. That makes all the difference in success. But no one's, literally no one's doing that. I've never gotten an email from an author being like, hey, I saw you download my book. Or even, so Christopher Hopper does this, and I love Christopher. Um, I'm sure he will watch this. He's not here today. Um, he basically does a weekly call with his readers where they all hang out. And it is like, they, they do, they show up in cosplay. And this sounds like ridiculous. Like what? Like, like, you know, to you, like people won't do that for me. Maybe they'll do that for Christopher because Christopher is like a huge famous author. He does well, but he's not like a huge famous author. Sorry, Christopher. Like, you know, there's Stephen King out there, right? Um, there's no like huge famous author. We're all just little people in our own world, but to our readers, we are the thing. 
So even if you have one reader, what if it was like, hey, if you have any questions about my book, like here's a Calendly link, book a time to call with me. Or, or here's like, you know, a whatever, like just email me back any questions. Like I want to hear from you. Like readers don't get that kind of interaction. So that's my advice. Like whatever you're doing, nurture your customers better than anyone else. Because if you keep those first four fans, you might yeah. be like, oh my God, this was horrible. What am I doing? Like, oh, like this is like, I'm making no money. Like I'm making two pennies per hour. But that's where things compound. And if you do something each month, 3% better than everyone else, give it four years and you'll be, you'll have a huge business. I completely agree with everything because like when I started, at least when I started my Patreon, I had a, like a scripted thing that I would send everybody, but I would like put their name in it. So it'd be like, hey, like, um, I don't know. Hey, Sean. <laughs> um, uh, thank you for joining. Yeah, Sean's my husband. <laughs> hey, Sean, thank you for joining. Um, I hope you enjoy my stuff. If you have any problems or questions, please let me know. Um, and it it wasn't like after like five minutes they joined it might have been like the day later and and it was like at different intervals so it like it wasn't automated at all I did it all by hand and I think that was really like it really helped me because it opened up the conversation because a lot of times readers will join something and they might be too afraid to like talk to you or they might not know what to say but if you start that conversation and you're like hey just let me know like I'm here whenever you need me to be they really appreciate that. And I, I had a lot of, I've had a lot of feedback where people are like, I love, like, I'm amazed how much you're into just like your readers and wanting to give them like the best experience possible. And I'm like, yeah, like I, I wish more authors would do that because like, but to me, they're like my community. Like they're not fans of me. I, I, I feel weird calling them fans because I don't know. I like to be on the same level as them. I don't, yeah. So the little things are really, really important. I want to share too, these are the big players. And just so we could get a conception of like, this is the biggest companies in the world who couldn't possibly make everything personal. Like that would be, and you're not gonna be able to make everything personal when you have thousands of readers. Like Amelia's not DMing all her readers today, you know? But these companies, this is their churn rate per month. So every month, 10% of people on Apple TV who have it unsubscribe. Now, they've done a lot of promotions. This is very aggressive, but the average for all streaming services is 5%. So 5% every month who have it unsubscribe. This is your benchmark for a subscription around. If you have less than 5% of your readers unsubscribing, you're doing great. But look at someone like right down here, Netflix for a very, very long time has been the industry leader. Actually in 2022, Netflix has gone up and Disney has pulled ahead, but that's a whole other conversation. But this makes a huge difference. Like 2% over the course of a year, massive, massive difference. Like they're now having to just bring in so many less people to retain their same revenue, never mind grow. And this also means that if you're making this much people happy, there's probably a greater word of mouth. So my biggest thing would be focusing on like for Netflix, is it really because Netflix has so much better TV shows than Disney plus content's a pretty big part of it. It is, but there's other things like the onboarding experience, right? For, especially in the beginning, they're really important. How are you keeping your readers there? Right. Are they even aware of what you have, like people are busy, they forget things. Um, so I think that's like, that's the thing. Like if, if every month, 5% of your five to 10% of your readers drop off, that should like scare us, but that's this business. Like people drop off, they go on to new stories. 
how do you keep them? Because if you have five to 10% people dropping off every month, that means you have to be growing by five to 10% every month just to break even. And that's what makes this really difficult, right? But if you can do what Netflix did, you could go from being a media company that didn't exist to being one of the biggest in the world. So that's, that's like how that works. And, it, and it's, it's like, oh, wow, like that's it. I just have to do two to 3% better, right? That's it. So my advice to you, um, Jackie, would just be like, wherever you find your readers, it's really nice to have their emails because you can make things more personal. But even if you don't, like if you're on TikTok, like, like and, and people are commenting and then talking about buying your books, like, like be, go the extra mile on the little things. It doesn't mean creating the perfectly edited video. That doesn't mean uploading a perfectly edited chapter. People don't care about that. Amelia makes way more money than most people would ever imagine on her first drafts on her, right? Like people don't make money on their first draft. She does on her Patreon, right? So this is what not only her do, but hundreds of authors are doing. So readers don't care about it being perfect. They care about it being something that they can connect with. They don't connect with flashy lights and cameras or perfect grammar. They connect with you and your story. And it's just easier to think that an algorithm solves the problem. It's easier to think that technology rules us, right? It's easier to think that a publisher will solve our problems. But the truth is, it doesn't work like that. So it's, I, I know it's, it's a weird advice, but if you have a, a questions about a specific platform, because I mean, creating on TikTok versus like how you optimize book funnel are like two completely different worlds, right? Um, I, I wouldn't necessarily call book funnel platform, but certainly a way to get discovery, story origin too. Um, I can help out there because I've done both. I've also done um, reviews as Amelia was talking about. I forgot who I used all those years ago. I've used basically every promotion service except for I've never gotten a BookBub deal, but have paid for the CPM ads. Um, yeah, I, I've done all of those different things that you could possibly utilize and also created on most social platforms. And Amelia is in the same position. So we can offer our insights on any platform, any way of reaching your readers, because obviously you have to somehow let readers know about your book. It doesn't start that first email, that first great interaction has to first come with someone being there. So we're, we're here, we're here to answer questions about that. If anyone has questions about creating on platforms. Because I, I will say, I think that's the best way you can find readers is, is creating somewhere, whether it's on Wattpad, whether it's swapping with other authors' platforms and their emails, right? Because there's so many options out there, how do you find what's right for you? And like analysis paralysis is a real thing. And like, there's so many options. I will try and make that simple for you because I understand that. First of all is reflect, it goes back to the beginning when don't hyper analyze, even when it comes to your mission statement, don't hyper analyze your mission statement or content plan, think about it and then know it's going to evolve. Likewise, when you go to a, a platform and even think about the platform, I would literally just do it off of what you're gonna have the most fun with. I know that sounds simple, but I'm telling you every single platform can work, including Pinterest. So if, if they all can work, it's about making it work. And you have to make it fun while you make it work because if it's not fun, I can hear it to you, like not only do people see that, but like, it's just not gonna be enjoyable for you. It's not gonna be a long-term thing because another thing about these platforms is don't view it as like, oh, three months, I'll be here and then I'll build up my readership and then I'll go elsewhere. No, actually, if you do it right and focus on one platform, you can build a huge audience there and slowly be bringing them to your own 
platform, whether that's email, your subscription, your own community that's not in a platform that's like weird like Facebook, you know what I mean? Like your own digital community that you have their emails to. You take the long view of that. Everything is based off of like that cumulative advantage effect, right? So these algorithms actually can really help you on all these platforms. Word of mouth can really help you when you have it going your right way. So that's one reason why I wouldn't do five platforms. I focus on one. You probably have a favorite platform. And if you don't, like if you're, if there's one way of reading or consuming or interacting with content that like, you're like, I hate it all, then maybe actually, first of all, rethink, like then don't be on social. Then maybe there's a, another way to go about it. And we can talk about other ways. But if you enjoy TikTok, go on TikTok, that, that simple. And then what do you do? Find a creator you like, just like you found a book you wrote and you wrote a book similar to it, find a creator you like and create a video similar to their one of theirs. And ideally have it be similar to your books, right? And just keep going from there and iterating. Um, there's a lot of best practice on this specific platform, but yeah, I would, I would literally say that like, if you're taking more than 24 hours to think about it, flip a coin. Because ultimately, if things go bad in the first couple of days, you can always switch. But if you wait three weeks to start, three months, three years, um, that's okay. It's never too late. But why would you do that if you don't have to? Because that's another thing about reading and writing. The best planners don't win. The best people who deliver to their readers win. And you know what your readers want. It's, it's, it's co-productive. You create with your readers, even if it's not literally them writing in the same room as you you create based on their feedback, based on what's working, right? So it's essential to have some sort of feedback loop in play. And the faster you can get that going, you know, the faster you will be able to play this long-term game because as much as you do want to keep the long-term in mind, uh, it, long-term isn't sitting around doing nothing for 10 years and then being like, okay, now we're going to get started. Like, I guess that's long-term, but I much think long-terms, let's start on day one and build incredible systems that cannot be broken. So can I jump ahead and ask the question when Reem's going to be launched? Because I'm like, Patreon, or do I wait? Like, I have this book ready to roll. Sure, sure. <laughs> I'll, I'll keep this. Um, I'll, I'll, first of all, let me um, send you a link. Uh, and this is a link for everyone. If you want to, like, book a call to chat with us and see it, I, a few of you here already have. Um, we can talk more in depth there because um, I feel like a lot of things on the internet are asking for your attention to sell you something. And I don't want this to be that, so I don't want to do a whole ream promo, but the TLDR is early January we're launching. We have, um, we're going to be onboarding authors week by week and working with people um, individually in the beginning. So we imagine a public launch will be um, towards like May, May or so, but we will be bringing almost every author in the wait list on before that. Um, we just want to make sure everyone's happy and going well, like bringing on 300 authors in one week would be a terrible idea, right? So anyways, book a call with us. We can see when we can get you on because we have a wait list, but we also try and be flexible with people too, because we understand if you want to get something started, um, we don't want to hold you back from that. But, you know, in the beginning, first couple months, bear with us because we want to keep our long-term view of how we can serve one author at a time. So um, you can find out more information there for anyone who's listening asynchronously. Um, I'll, I'll try to remember to put the link in, in the description so you can book a demo call with us. And the short story is we are the subscription platform by fiction authors for fiction authors and to make your life easier by trying to save you time 
and make your readers happier by bringing them closer to your stories. There's a bunch of ways we do that. Um, but like I said, don't want to get too deep into it, but you can book a call there. So awesome. Th thank you for asking. Your interest means like a ton, like it literally, uh, me and I'm Amelia. chomping at the bit since 20 books. I'm like, go, go, go. Cause I already set up my Patreon and I'm like, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> no, no, I, that's amazing. That's, that means a ton. Yeah, no, please, please book a time with us. We'd love to chat. And um, yeah, we're, we're super excited to uh, try and maybe, I mean, it's definitely possible that, you know, like we're, we're outlining how authors already are more powerful platforms. We just have to start acting that way and doing that. Um, but we definitely want to create a space where like, no, that's like really true. And that huge market map of a hundred different tools, how messy it is. You have to basically be like, I mean, I read like basically one to two hours a day about this stuff. I'm subscribed to 20 newsletters of this. You basically have to be an expert to stay up on this. I, we want to make it a lot easier for y'all and actually build things specifically for authors to realize this creator powered future. That's like our vision. So it's cool that y'all are interested in that because all I know is I'd be super depressed if this didn't exist. Um, and I think Amelia would be too. So it's like, I'm glad that we can cure more people's depressions. That's like, we're, we're doing good. <laughs> um, so yeah, but I, I really will hang out. I will say like, we usually have these things, like we say 3.30 because I don't want people to feel like they have to book out their whole afternoon. So if you need to go, this is your, your, uh, your cue that you're not gonna miss anything crazy. I finished the presentation. Let me share one last thing with everyone um, briefly, which is my book recommendations and things to further read on this. Um, so I talked about Advantage. I talked about Anatomy of Genres. I really think you should put that on your, your reading list. Uh, we might do a book club at the beginning of the year on one of these books, and I'll do a little breakdown on them. But I also recommend reading Self-Publishing 3.0 by Ona Ross. And to be honest, that's probably the one to start with because it's super short. It's like an hour and a half read. And it gives you an overview of everything that like we talked about today, but from another perspective. And she's genius. She's the head of Alliance of Independent Authors. Two, like maybe things to check out. I'm really passionate about creator mental health. Like I just think not enough people talk about it. And Mentally Gill is a really cool podcast started by Gil um, Crudger, which is focused on mental health of creators broadly. They don't have any authors on there. Please, like someone should start a podcast and focus on author mental health. I'm sure someone's done it, but I, I don't know about it. So anyways, I'm, I'm, I want someone to do that. But regardless of me trying to dream up content for the world, this is a pretty close fit. And then People versus Algorithms by Troy Young. If you're like a nerdy media reader like me, this is like talking about the broader media ecosystem. And specifically, like, I think you get from the title, People versus Algorithms. It's pretty insightful stuff. But I would put these two as like things you could sign up for. Maybe you're curious. They're totally free. Um, but these books are incredible. Um, so I want to tell you that and I want to show you one more thing. So we have our website, um, subscriptionsforauthors.com. All this is free content to help you grow your subscription, no matter where you have it. And we have a podcast, which many of you already know about. But speaking of books, because I like books, this is Subscription Marketing by Ann Janzer. A lot of her mindset is perfectly embodied in how we feel. And I've definitely learned a lot from her. I created a reading guide that's totally like free and short. I do recommend you read and buy her book but I understand we don't have a lot of time as authors. And with her permission, I created this. So it's like 3,000 words that sums up the entire book, gives you all the insights specifically for authors. The book is more for tech companies. So it's useful, but like some of it's like, oh, we're really getting into business jargon. And I was like, let's take those out. So 
Um, that's what this is, 27 chapters, 27 takeaways. And if there's like 20 minutes you have in your day, I actually really think you should read this. Like it, it, it's, it's really good because of her, not because of me. Um, she's brilliant. So that's like the final, I don't know, value information I can offer you. And I'll remind everyone, um, and I'm not going, I will hang out as long as you want, but I'm just even letting people listening know that like, you know, these things are happening. Um, next month, we have uh, another fireside chat coming up. A lot of you are looking to start your subscription. And at the start of the new year, that's all we're focused on. We haven't done really a focus on this yet. We're finally doing it. So what we'll be doing is breaking down the state of subscriptions report that we created. It's now 200 authors, but it's going to probably be close to 350 to 400 authors who are monetizing from subscriptions. Some make literally about a million a year from subscriptions. Some make about $1,000. But in that whole power law and all these different sects, we can see people broken down by genre and income, how they're doing things, how much people are paying for specific tiers, how much people they have paying. And we'll look to develop this report every year and see how this changes and grows over time. So this is just the beginning, but we're gonna be talking about that. And then we're gonna be talking about, cool, there's all these great people doing subscriptions. How can we get started? So we'll talk about starting your subscription. And if you're doing it already, we'll talk a little bit about leveling up, but we'll mainly be focused on a strong foundation, launching your subscription. How do you get started in this weird, beautiful, complicated world that is turning your fans from customers of retailers who subscribers that pay you monthly. So that'll be first Saturday of January uh, and it'll be recorded and it'll be sent out in our mailing list and in the Facebook group. So we'll try and let it reach you, um, transcend the algorithms to get to you. So yeah, that's, that's what we have coming up. But I wanna thank you everyone for your time and let you know that this is completely open questions about anything, whether it's content creation, subscriptions, anything like I'm here, I wanna be here. So let me know your questions. And if you have things that you think about after this, you can always email me and Amelia, always reach out, always put it in the Facebook group too, and we'll do our best, but nothing beats talking in person-ish. This is in-person-ish, so. Um, I just wanted to, sorry, go back to that mission statement thing yeah. um, and sort of how bound up with branding is that because, um, um, yeah, I, I don't want to sort of mission statement sounds a lot more sort of higher level than branding. And yeah, yeah so I, I don't kind of want to do something that's a bit like naff. And <laughs> well, I think that once why I asked like the high level is because you almost need to have like the the overarching like, what am I really what is the the job I'm doing here for my readers? Like if I'm this is super general, but maybe like I'm, I'm going to give a cookie cutter example and this might not apply to anyone here, but may apply to someone, but you can think about it for yourself. So maybe I am creating um, contemporary romance novels set in the South. And I wanna help middle-aged women who either are maybe going on their second marriage or are not happy in their current marriages, find more intimacy and love in their life. That can be my mission statement. Now that's not gonna be my branding. That's a horrible branding. No one wants to hear that, right? But that's really what you're doing. And that can inform mm -hmm every product you create, everything in that synergy map, that's the master plan. Now what's your branding? So ultimately it's about giving them that feeling that you are giving them that sense of intimacy and closeness to your characters and your story, to the world that you're creating. And you're gonna be doing that through pattern imprinting and symbols. So you will have specific symbols in your stories and patterns that might come up. Common ones are tropes. 
right? So a lot of people describe the stories they write and brand themselves in the tropes that they write. But a lot of people write tropes and don't know why they work. And then they miss the broader opportunity around that trope. Why do people want that specific trope? What job is it doing for them? That informs your synergy map. That's why I talk about that. But in terms of branding, you might say like, I write enemies to lovers. I write maybe rivals to lovers, right? What is that doing for someone? That goes back to the mission statement, but that's how you brand it. Then you may have in something like your subscription and your newsletter, you might have things in your story that correlate to your character's journey. So maybe we have Amanda. I hope there's no Amanda here listening because I'm not trying to call you out personally, but hello, Amanda. So Amanda, maybe I is, let's just say one of her misbeliefs is that she's not beautiful. And one of your things that you want your reader to believe is that everyone has beauty in them and you are beautiful, my reader friend. That, isn't that a great message? That's what we can do as authors. But you're not obviously gonna say that explicitly you're going to take that character on that journey of realizing that she's beautiful. Maybe part of that is being able to love someone else. And through that connection and love with someone else, the love that she gets back, she realizes the beauty in herself, which also is another deeper message. That beauty is not something that vacuum, that we, we need to be loved in a sense. We're social creatures. So maybe that's your whole journey. But along that journey, things come up that mean something to that character and simultaneously with your reader, because your reader is literally going to be inside of the story, inside of that character's brain reading through it. It's like a hypnotic trance you get them in. So now maybe something like, uh, maybe if she's in school, we're taught maybe like YA. Um, so maybe there's a specific class or club that she's a part of that made her feel really bad, right? So maybe that, that could be something that you brand as part of the villain. You could even title it like maybe there's a bad, like a, a first boyfriend or first relationship that's unhealthy before she meets the guy she really loves. You could do like a, maybe even like a triangle love situation, right? Where like the one guy really likes you and this other guy really likes you, but you fall for the guy who's not best for you. And then you eventually fall in love with the guy that the audience wanted you to be with the whole time. That, that works. People have done it a lot. So regardless, along that journey, you may have other things, a restaurant they stop at, that first magical date that she had that gets her to maybe feel a little bit like, oh, I'm connecting with it. Maybe it's Rocky's Diner. Now Rocky's Diner becomes part of your branding in your newsletter. Maybe becomes an image you put in there, becomes a title, maybe a tier for your subscription. That can be all part of your branding because your branding is tied to your story world. There's no difference. Mm. So, so, for example, my my publishing company is HRP Publishing, but every time I say it, it sounds like Harpy. So my logo is a Harpy. Now, when I decided that, I was like, oh, they've got a bit of a bad reputation. So let me just do some research. And actually, they weren't always hideous and you know, they were just these wind spirits. And in the Odyssey, they're actually described as winds that carry people away. And that is kind of what I want to do with, because I write epic, I write fantasy, epic fantasy, fantasy romance, is to literally take people to a different world to escape whatever. And in like in my newsletter is called The Clamour, because that's a collective gathering of harpies. And I, I do have a, a way of linking, because I have two series in different worlds, but I do have a way of linking them together through potentially harpies or something to do with them and they're in the same world. And yeah, so I don't know whether that's more like branding or there is a little bit of mission statement in there either, so. 
Well, well, I think all of it's like money suit, but like I said, like mission statement is like the high order thing that you're not going to necessarily tell your readers. Like Nike doesn't market any of their products. Like we bring inspiration, innovation to every athlete in the world. I've never seen that in a commercial. No. Their motto is just do it. Right. So that that's like your, what's your version of just do it. Like if that's their mission, their motto is just do it. So when you're talking about like a tagline that might be at the top of your subscription or, or something like that that or the, at the top of your website like you know my name is you know ellen and this is what i write it's usually important um a lot of times like i said like these high level things like that will give your readers that emotional signal that i'm in the right place like genre tropes can really work um mm -hmm. but when it comes to the branding that you're talking about i think that the best way to do it is to say what resonated with me as an author while i was reading like writing my book that i intentionally put in there that made me feel something really interesting, that made me feel excited about this story. And put that as things that you ingrain into your newsletter, into maybe your social media posts, right? That's becoming part of this whole operation. And as you're getting readers to flow through it, and it won't be a lot at first, but as you get them to flow through it, I would actually try, and this is especially the great part about the beginning, is you can ask your readers personally, hey, like, what do you think about like me saying this language? Does this connect with you? Does that image connect with you? And maybe you go, I have like two other options I was thinking about. I just went with this one because I said, why not? But what do you feel about this? Your readers will tell you what your branding should be. You're, they were like, oh, no, like in your book, it was not Rocky's Diner. It was this place that I really loved. And that should be it. They'll tell you. So you so, just have to work people through it. So that could really tie in with what you're talking about there, tie in with this sort of, early release, um, whether it be weekly or whatever, of content. And if it is your first rough draft or whatever, and then you can get feedback from the, the readers. It... I think you're getting the advantages of it. Yes, we don't <laughs> want to tell everyone that it's the best thing for everyone. But I think for these reasons alone, we talk about a lot. We get this question a lot, like, I don't have 10,000 readers. So if I sign up for a description now, I'm not only going to have a few readers, I might only have three or four. And I like, that's like, it looks like a failure. And like, why would I do that? But then me and Amelia's response is maybe don't, definitely don't just FOMO into anything and you don't have to have a description, but consider these other benefits that someone who's launching with a thousand won't have, because they're going to have maybe some false signals, right? They, they also might have so much volume if they're interacting with their readers personally, that they'll never get those conversations that really, really make the magic happen. And this is why most, to give another, like how companies build systems that perpetuate themselves like this, most advice when you're starting a company is not to market, but just go and not even create anything, but just go out and talk to customers that you think will be your customers for months, like get on four or five calls a day and just be talking to people about what their problems are, which like sounds horribly boring. And none of us as authors do that. I'm not saying we do do that, but oh, wow. What if there was a sort of reader discovery where we got to really see what our readers were connecting with before we scaled up, before we did that? Mm -hmm. Because to be honest, for a lot of people, they don't ever scale up and are trying to figure out what that is. This gives you an opportunity to do that. So I, this is, I'm not like, again, I, I, I'm the first person to say like, please don't like everyone tomorrow go set up a subscription because that's not gonna solve all your problems. But this mindset may just do that. And you can implement it into a process, systematize this mindset through something like a subscription. Um, 
but yeah, that, that would be my advice to you too. Like going back to analysis paralysis, branding won't change your change every the game for you. It's going to be a continued refinement of your branding. It, that's what it will really be. So go with something that feels right, knowing a little bit about these principles, knowing about the bigger job to be done, the bigger vision of what your story is really doing for your reader, because enemies to lovers in itself means nothing, right? It's tying to some deeper psychological need that's fulfilling. I'll show you what those actually are. So this is the nine human givens. Joe Solari talks about this in his book, Advantage, but this is like, this is what it all goes back to everyone. This, this is what we're in the business of, fulfilling these nine emotional needs, security, meaning and purpose, intimacy, attention, privacy, status, achievement, community, control. No one genre fulfills all of these not some genres index more on certain ones than others actions usually about achievement we have romance a lot of it tends to be about intimacy but security is a big part of that meaning and purpose tend to be in many many genres right so a lot of times it's about figuring this out but the great part is that you don't need to find it alone you probably have some insights yourself already and you also have a whole genre that's been built that's already doing these things. So it's not about necessarily reinventing the wheel and understanding what they do. And that's why I recommended uh, the genre of story by uh, John Truby and Advantage, because I think those two books, Advantage is more the framework. John Truby says, I'm gonna go and break down each genre in 60 pages and tell you all of this. And that's why I recommended that book because I think it's fundamental. So yeah, that would be, That'd be it for me. Um, so everyone is gone but us, which is great. We can keep talking. Um, please don't be shy, Missy and Helen, with any questions. I saw Helen, you, I think I was like in the middle of preparing for this, but you posted in the Facebook group um, earlier. Let me, let me open it up uh, because I can answer it live. You did post in the Facebook Group, right? Yes, yeah. So let's go into the Facebook group. Do, do, do. Helen, here we go. So I am new here, but I'm super. Or maybe did I respond? I may have responded. I think you, I think you did. I, oh, I, I, did. I, I, I yeah, it's so funny. There's always a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah, okay. I always remember when people post, I'm like, did I respond to that? Okay, uh, great. Well, I hope- oh, No, that... thank you for the, for the feedback, for the feedback, comments back. Is this helpful for you and being able to hone in? Yeah, I think, I think I'm just getting a lot of information at the moment. So it's, it's, uh, taking time to- Yes, no, I- Filter through. I figure since we do these once a month, uh, might as well go all in on providing- information and then people can think about it for the next month and then we'll be back again to talk about something kind of not different but you know we won't touch on the same things exactly but this one especially like I want to say is like very difficult I think this is a very difficult fireside chat in the sense that like wrapping your mind around this it's taken me like two years mm, so I'm I have I have just finished your book actually um it's very good <laughs> Um, liked it. But again, I think I have to go back and reread some sections because I, I'm not that way inclined with sort of technology and stuff. So I will have to 
like reread some bits and maybe do some extra research, but it, it was very informative. So I'm glad you enjoyed it. I think my goal with it was to, to say like, yes, we'll talk a little bit about the technology, but let's hit at the foundation here and where this is going, why this matters, and now how we can actually capitalize on it. And it's not supposed to be like uh, all-encompassing. Uh, I think I might write some follow-ups to it, but that'll come years from now. I, I don't have another book in me like that anytime soon, but I think that it was very difficult for me because it took me like years to even figure out any of it. And I still think there's a better way to distill some of it. Like I'll probably, well, it's not, it's not even officially out yet. So I'm going to make some edits to it. And then it's from there, they'll probably get it to the future because it's it's kind of a new way of thinking fundamentally because I went back to the fundamental lie because it's like, oh no, we actually have the power and can do what we want. Mm. Whoa, that changes the game. And then it's like proving to someone, wait, this is true. If you get them to believe that, which is my job as someone doing this to say like, no, it's really possible. But then it's like, oh wow, okay, then what do I do about it? And that's the part that we're all still figuring out. So I, I firmly believe the first path of this, that it's possible, that this, this is the new future, that creators, storytellers rule the world. But the challenge in that is then figuring out, okay, great, but what world am I building? How should I go about building that? How should I go about communicating that to my readers? And that's where your mind can explode. Like the first part is enough yeah. information already. And it's like, okay, great, thanks. That was motivational. But the rest of it is like completely overwhelming, which. Yeah, I and I think especially where I am, I'm, you know, I've, I've just dipped my toe in the water. I've, I'm not like a big enough following yet. And when you're reading this, your mind's just going like, oh, all these things, it's really cool. It's really exciting. It's like, no, no, hang on. Just, just start. I tried, to, <laughs> I tried to give you those moments of breath from the book. And maybe I'll try and do even more of it to say like, you know, it's not a rush it's about focusing right clarity all these things because it's like at the end of the day it really is all I think about like your mindset and how you apply it and the people who can build better systems for thinking which my book's not about that maybe I'll write one about that for authors I don't know enough about that so full disclosure I would not feel comfortable writing that but I think that's what it comes down to like how can we get ourselves taking in all this new information and then applying what we really need and what our readers really need very effectively in a way that doesn't overwhelm us, doesn't burn us out. And that mm -hmm. is so exciting for our readers that they don't just want more of it, but need more of it. And it's, it's way easier said than done. So I'm saying it. And really, I guess now, like what I'm most excited about is being able to work with, you know, everyone here, which we've been doing, and learning from everyone at all different stages of their career, whether they're someone who's, you know, multi six figure, seven figure author, or someone who just found out that you could publish books on the internet, which of course people are still finding that out. And that's amazing. It's never too late. I, I love working with that scope to then just learn more about, okay, now let's help everything along better now that we learn more, but it, it's definitely like early days in all of this. Um, and I think my book was more about like, this is the first inning, let's start playing a different game. Mm. Yeah, that, that came across very strong and it was, yeah, I completely agree, so. <laughs> I definitely don't have uh, really any of the answers, Never mind all the answers. I can be very humble on that, but I think that, I think that collectively we do. That's mm -hmm. what I, I do believe in that collectively, if we take the whole community together and put all our knowledge and resources and things that we're learning, um, 
we can get so much further faster um, and, and really create this future that I think we all want and all of our readers want, which is to have our own worlds that we get to have a degree of autonomy in, that we get to create experiences for our readers that they couldn't imagine and be able to ourselves actually realize that value um, for ourselves and for our families. And, and that's like the promise. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's like the basics of like, at the end of the day, nothing matters if your reader doesn't want to turn the next page and mm -hmm. doesn't just do it because, you know, of some cheap psychological trick, which really you can't do throughout a novel. People do that in TikToks though, right? That's why a lot of TikTokers build audiences, but not connections. In a book, we have the um, the challenge of actually having to get someone to keep watching us for 10 hours, keep being with us for that long. And that means by the end of it, you've probably done something incredibly special. And I think that's the thing that like inspires me is that we're all doing that. Like we're all in that process, whether we just picked up the first page or written 10 books and only sold one copy, like wherever you're at, like you are doing that. And that's one of the most challenging things in the world, but one of the most meaningful. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks for today. I better go. It's pretty late here. So <laughs> it got dark during our call here as well. But um, for you, I'm sure it's been dark since the beginning. So <laughs> I will I will let you go. I hope you have an amazing day. And you too. As always, we are here to help you. I really don't want you to be overwhelmed. I think if you can come out of this and everyone listening with one thing, it's how will I tomorrow take one step to do something? better for my existing readers, even if it's only one reader. I think most of us have one reader. And if you don't have one reader, then the question is, how can I do something really special for one reader um, that may not be my reader yet, but I'm still gonna do something really special for them. And I think if we can just boil it down to like that simplest thing of the next action we take is let's make, again, a better experience for our readers. That might be, like I said, sending a personalized email to the top segment of your list that opens the most and being like, you have no idea how much you mean to me, like being just open and honest or sharing them something special that's going on in your world because spoiler, they want to know what you're working on. Like all these things can be very simple, easy things to do that might just, again, build one more super fan and one more super fan can become two and three and 10 and 100. And eventually you will have a really awesome business. And the challenging part and why I said 99% of authors won't do this is because it's, it's hard and it requires like a long-term game and delayed gratification and taking that long-term view that like it's easier to just want it tomorrow. And it's easier to then start looking up promotion sites and looking up the next ad hack, which can all be great, but isn't gonna really make the difference. So that's my, my closing thought. Everyone who listens to this, one thing, your homework, one thing that you can do to make your readers happier tomorrow. And maybe that's just writing your next chapter and that's it. Great. Write that next chapter, go to bed and know that you did an amazing job. Okay. <laughs> so thank you so much, Helen. Thank yeah, you. Everyone thank else you. Synchronously. you have a great day. Everyone at home, hope you have an amazing day. And as always, you can check out our Facebook group and community that has um, some more information for you to be able to, to do this thing and be happy and make your readers happy. Storytellers of the world, everyone. Bye. Yeah, stop. Mm -hmm.